being keto adapted, fat is my primary fuel source, both for my body and for my brain. And I don't want to feel like a zombie if I'm in a prep and I'm already at a low caloric intake. I want to feel like a rock star. Mm. And if I'm taking in a higher fat ratio, I'm going to be able to do that. I'm going to function better throughout the day to day. And I don't have to worry about my muscles, you know, wasting away because I'll be in a more anti-catabolic state due to the higher ketones. If you're not complaining, if you're happy with where you're at in life, you're happy with your nine to five, then, then keep doing it by all means, more power to you. But if you're miserable in your job, if you're miserable in your career path, and then you're complaining and you're not doing anything to fix it, there's an issue there. Do you want to know what it is? Body, mind, empowerment. Get stronger, faster, smarter, quicker, friendlier, more helpful, more driven. Everything the body needs. Control your mind. Welcome to the Body, Mind, Empowerment Podcast. I'm a host, Seamland, and our guest today is Robert Sykes, the Keto Savage. Robert is a ketogenic bodybuilder, coach, and entrepreneur. He creates content about optimizing muscle growth, fat loss, and performance with the keto way of eating. Robert, welcome to the show. Thanks a million for having me, man. Always a pleasure to be here. Yeah, I'm uh, glad to have you back on the show. And uh, we did a podcast the first time, maybe like over a year ago. And we also, mm-hmm. met, and we also met face-to-face for the first time in the Metabolic Health Summit in uh, January. So yep. uh, what, what have you been up to like since that time? Man, it's been, just been trying to grow the, the business. I don't know how many of your listeners are familiar with me, but we've got the, the keto brick business. So we've been trying to scale that up. We've got a new warehouse location now. So trying to build that. And then from a personal side of things, I've been trying to kind of ramp up my metabolism, uh, kind of increase my calories, get my metabolism ramped up, focus on building, have a really solid building phase right now, put on some more muscle mass prior to leaning out for the next season of competitions. Hmm. Yeah, yeah, like I've I've have seen a lot on your social media that you, you actually got married <laughs> like recently, yeah. and uh, you're yeah building up the keto brick business. So it's really glad I'm really glad to see that everything is going in the right direction. I appreciate it, man. Yeah, there's a lot of a lot of things. I guess I should have should have said yeah, we got married since then too. But yeah, Crystal, <laughs> yeah, we got married in April, and you know it's it's pretty cool because she's been with me forever now. We've built this business together and. And to be able to kind of be on the same page with all of our endeavors and passions, it's, it's pretty cool, man. I feel very blessed. I'm very grateful to be here. Hmm. Yeah, for sure. Uh, like I remember like a few years ago, like your book was one of the only ketogenic bodybuilding books that I actually saw out there. <laughs> and mm-hmm. uh, like, we, we, like I also written a book about it. So I felt like this, this kind of topic was so foreign in the let's say, fitness sphere a few years ago. But nowadays, I think like most people do agree that it is to a certain extent possible to uh, <clears throat> you know, build muscle with a ketogenic diet and you don't need to be eating like six times a day to make gains. So how, maybe has, how has your opinion about building muscle on a ketogenic diet uh, changed since your last competition? Uh, well, my last, I've done five different shows now. My first three were with a carb-based protocol, whereas the last two were all following a ketogenic protocol. And doing that, I was able to, to kind of, like, like you said, there was no really resources out there to do a prep, you know, build muscle and lean out following a strictly ketogenic diet. So there wasn't really anything I could turn to, to, to kind of have a roadmap. So I kind of blazed my own trail, so to speak, and did some self-experimentation, figured out what worked. But then in doing that, you know, my last prep following that strict keto protocol, it basically convinced me that this was the way to do it. I mean, it was a much healthier much more sustainable approach to dieting down for a show. And I've learned a lot since then that I'm going to implement with this next prep. But before I get into that, I mean, hats off to you, man. Like your book 
And I mean, when I wrote my book, I couldn't find anybody else out there except your book. There was, there was Jimmy Moore's uh, Keto Clarity, Keto Clarity book, obviously. Um, but I couldn't find anything else out there and I've never even promoted my book. So nobody probably even knows it's out there, but I saw yours, you know, keto for bodybuilding and it was just, it was just cool, man. I feel like you and I are definitely kind of onto something there from the very beginning. Mm, yeah. And now, now there's like a bunch of different, uh, keto bodybuilders like Danny Vega. I, t- I talked with him a few days ago and yeah, like other people, you know, showing that you don't need to be carb loading all the time and that it's actually even more sustainable in some aspects and definitely like, I feel that staying clean and, uh, you know, being healthy in general is much more easier on a keto diet than it is like with trying to constantly either fit any kind of macro into your uh, daily schedule or just, you know, trying to avoid the sugar cravings or such. So it's, I feel like keto is very sustainable in the long term. Oh, absolutely, man. I mean, I look at, um, I was actually listening to a podcast this morning and they were talking about just preconceived notions that people had you know, prior to all the, the modern day research and knowledge that we have now. And there, there, there's just such a separation about how people assumed muscle was built and fat was lost. I mean, I remember when I first got into bodybuilding, like you, you look at all the magazines and there's still a ton of ignorance out there, but especially in like the bro dieting spheres, but people just assume that if you don't have a meal within 30 minutes of training, you're automatically losing all your gains. If you do fasted cardio, you're, you're going to waste away all your muscles are going to be lost. And there's just so many, you know, incorrect beliefs out there. And in doing keto for as long as I have and building the muscle that I have since being strict keto, I'm 100% convinced, like there's no doubt in my mind that you can build quality, dense, lean muscle tissue and it be sustainable without any kind of long-term health uh, devastations. Like it's a much healthier protocol that I think will add to my longevity going forward. Mm, yeah, I totally agree. And I would also, yeah, I've seen also some, you know, over the past few, let's say year or so, uh, like a lot of research has kind of started to conclude that the carbs play much of a lesser, lo- lesser role in the muscle hypertrophy than previously thought. And the main kind of catalyst is actually just the training and the actual muscle protein synthesis and muscle building process comes from just eating dietary protein <laughs> and making sure that you get enough calories, etc. So like the carbs and glycogen, they may help to perform in some sports, but at the same time, they're not like the quintessential component to building muscle as they previously thought they were. Oh, 100%, man. I mean, there was a time where I used to think that it was all a result of spiking your insulin post-training. So I would literally train and then eat a, a bag full of um, sweet tarts or those... Uh, those sour patch kids because they're basically pure dextrose and absorb really quickly and spike your insulin. Like I thought that was going to be the reason I was building muscle. And, you know, I look, I look at where I am now and I don't take in any carbohydrates. I don't do carb ups. I don't do any of that stuff. And it's, it's just all about, you know, muscle protein synthesis, making sure you're getting adequate protein in and then adequate calories. I see way too many people not training hard enough to stimulate the muscle and cause that stimulus of growth and then also not giving their body the fuel it needs to build additional muscle tissue. So training hard, training heavy and eating enough uh, food with adequate protein is like, that's, that's the, that's the foundation right there. Mm, yeah, totally. Uh, you mentioned that you, you're, you don't do any like the carb ups and uh, no, 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 that, that kind of strategies. So you're more of like the kind who promotes a strict ketogenic diet like throughout the entire year, right? Yes, absolutely. I mean, I have nothing against people that do carb ups. Um, I mean, like Danny Vega, for instance, is one of my best friends and he's all, he's doing a bunch of carb up experimentation right now. I'm not 
going to be weird. Like there's some people that are just totally taking things too far with diet and they like put them, they build a wall around themselves and they, they judge other people based off of the food they put in their mouth. And that's never what I've wanted to, to, you know, showcase and illustrate. Like I, to each their own, everybody do, does what, what works for them. But for me, I've just, like, I, I came from a background of, you know, having carb addictions. I know a lot of people, probably most people in the keto space came from that kind of background. Mm-hmm. Um, and there's like, my body responded well to carbs in the sense that I was able to get really lean. Like I didn't, I had, um, you know, I'm very insulin sensitive. I don't have any kind of metabolic issues around carbs, but for me, it's like, I prefer the way I feel, the way I perform my cognitive enhancement without carbs. Mm-hmm. And I've tried to, you know, kind of stake my flag in the ground and say, look, you can, you can build a ton of muscle with a strict ketogenic protocol. Like I don't think that there's any inherent benefit to doing carbs. If you're not super well adapted, super, uh, you know, keto and fat adapted, then yeah, you can probably see a benefit from the carb ups and the strict and targeted keto. But if you allow yourself to truly get deeply adapted and your, your body's able to replenish glycogen stores just as efficiently as somebody that's taken in carbs, I don't see any performance benefit from those, you know, cyclical targeted keto approaches. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. I, I do agree to a certain extent that uh, after you become like prolongedly keto adapted, then uh, the fat itself kind of replaces glycogen. In, in some aspects or or you're going to be able to sustain uh, the same level of performance as you if you were to be using glycogen with a fat-based metabolism because the body adapts and uh, the fat fat adaptation literally is your body be using uh, fat at higher intensities of exercise and uh, yeah like even with weightlifting you're not really hitting like 100% of your one rep max all the time you're actually staying around there like 70 to 80% of the range and you know, sometimes going for the ninety percent of your one rep max, which is perfectly sustainable with like some some glycogen, but like that that glycogen can be still replenished with eating keto. Yeah, hundred percent, man. And like I look at, you know, there's a whole bunch of carb up experiments going on right now around social. It's kind of like the, it's interesting. There's like a a new flavor of the month, so to speak. Everybody's got this this new thing that they're trying out, this new experiment, and the grass always seems greener on the other side. And a lot of people are doing carb ups right now, just, you know, through self-experimentation, which again, more power to them. But, you know, I'm seeing a lot of people are claiming that the reason they're doing carb ups and, and staying away from strict keto is because they're not getting adequate muscle pumps and they're not recovering through mm. a strict keto protocol. But mm. that's, I mean, something's not optimized in that regard because I get freakishly good pumps <laughs> with strict keto and my recovery time is, is great. So, there's so many, again, it's very highly individualized, but I, I would caution people against just jumping to, you know, looking for carbs or any other outside stimulus to fix their problems. I think it's more a result of they're just not having a fully optimized diet to begin with. For sure. And maybe it's also like their, their goals in a sense. Maybe they don't want to be strict keto all the time. So they're not taking it that seriously or they're not that diligent with their macros and, and so on. So their mind is almost like programmed to have this preconceived notion that they need to carve up. <laughs> oh yeah, for sure. And then from like a psychological standpoint like that, like if you're someone that, that doesn't have, you know, a carbohydrate addiction in your background, if, if carbs don't bother you um, and that doesn't, and that's not something that you want to focus on, you know, by all means indulge, do whatever you want to do. But I, my message that I want to really get across and kind of beat, beat very clearly is that you don't have to have carbs to see a, um, a benefit from a performance standpoint. Like if you, hmm. there, there's no sacrifice to being strict keto is basically what I'm trying to get in. Other than 
if you're someone that's just addicted to carbs, you might look at you know, not having ice cream on, you know, the evenings as a sacrifice, but I don't really consider that a sacrifice. For sure. Uh, but w- what are your like main macronutrient uh, ratios then? Uh, me personally, I tend to gravitate towards a slightly higher fat ratio. I, I feel better and I perform better and I'm just sharper mentally when I'm around probably 77 to 81% of my calories coming from fat. Wow. Um, I'm in a building phase right now. I'm at a pretty significant caloric surplus. I'm taking about 4,000 calories a day. Mm-hmm. So my protein is a little bit higher now, but I don't feel optimal when I'm in a caloric surplus. I actually prefer the way I feel when I'm at more of a maintenance or a, a deficit even. Mm-hmm. Um, but being in a surplus right now is just where I need to be uh, currently prior to my next goal. So I'm just going to have to kind of grip my teeth and, and feel a little less optimal, but take in those extra calories. Mm. Yeah, yeah. Like uh, that's actually a very, a very like clever strategy in the sense that before you start cutting, you're actually trying to ramp up your metabolic rate as to make the cutting process a lot easier in a sense of building your metabolism rather than trying to start to diet at an already broken metabolism in a sense or already very low caloric intake. It's going to be much harder for you to actually reach the goal in a sense <laughs> compared to starting off from like like you said four thousand calories. You have like a whole lot of room to uh, cut down from oh yeah man i mean that's honestly probably the biggest mistake i see people make um you know from clients or from other people that have reached out to me they'll they'll be at a they'll have the goal of losing body fat and they'll just kind of allow themselves to be in a chronic state of caloric depletion you know sometimes sub 1000 calories and when you're when you're down that low for an extended period of time like your metabolism just starts to tank and there's no other way to go about it like your metabolism just starts shutting down on you and there's no runway left to taper calories from. So you have to ramp that, that caloric intake, that fuel intake back up, get your body churning again and get that furnace burning so that you've got, you know, more like a higher rate of metabolism. Everything's more efficiently used. And then you've got more runway from which to taper when you do transition into a, you know, a caloric cut or a, a deficit of some sort. But having having that period of time where you're ramping calories up and being in a surplus is is very very important Mm. yeah i don't i don't know about uh like the kind of clients you have but when i look at social media then i see this trend that a lot of people who suffer from this quote-unquote metabolic adaptation or like a weight loss plateau come from people who are just uh, chronically doing cardio they're restricting themselves all the time and uh, their body is essentially in this very deprived state. So there's, there's not, not a lot of room to actually start losing fat from because the calories are already so low. And if they restrict themselves further, then they will either have like this massive rebound and binge or they will just feel like so starving all the time. So it's, very, it's like a very tricky situation. And the reason they're in that situation is that they've literally ran themselves through the dirt for too long rather than rather than focusing on like what's actually more important such as like building muscle and you know, keeping the metabolic rate higher with with that increased uh, muscle mass 100 percent, 100 percent. and it's it's scary man like when you start tra- taking your calories down that low it, it your body wants to survive like your body's smart so if you start convincing your body that there's going to be a no surplus of food for a significant period of time at that point anything you do consume your body is going to almost immediately convert to fat as a you know safeguard mechanism for storage so you know when you get down to sub 1000 calories and you're not giving your body any any reason to think that that food is in a surplus it's just automatically going to start turning to fat what you do consume at a at a much faster rate so it's kind of like a a negative feedback loop that just keeps getting worse and worse i mean 
anybody's goal should be to kind of have a sustainable cycle to it all. Like you have a mm -hmm. legitimate building phase, a legitimate maintenance phase, and a legitimate cutting phase and cycle through that over the course of, you know, 12 to 18 months and, or, or even longer, you know, there, there's no sense to, you know, transition from a, a strict cutting to a hardcore bulking phase on like a three month basis, because then you're not giving your body adequate time to adapt to the new stimulus. But if you're giving your body the time it needs, then you can cycle through those different phases effectively and sustainably and healthy, and your body's going to respond much, much better. Mm, right. When was your last contest prep and how long has it been like since, since you last dieted like hardcore? So my last competition prep uh, was in, my last competitions were in April of 2017. So I started prepping for that November of 2016. Mm -hmm. um, so it's been a long time since I've done a really hardcore bodybuilding prep. Um, I've been at more of a maintenance slash building phase, like a lean building phase. I don't, I don't ever recommend or advocate a, a really dirty bulk or mm. a sloppy building phase in which you just consume crap calories and put on unnecessary body weight. And you want to kind of keep the reins pulled in a little bit and not let yourself get out of control. But I've um, uh, taken quite a bit of time off from getting that lean because going that lean, you know, getting down to sub 4% body fat, like really <laughs> like things start changing and it's not good to do that on a, on a regular basis. So I tend to give myself, you know, at least two years in between competition preps usually. Right. Well, but if, if some people were to look at your Instagram profile, then they would say that you're lying <laughs> because you're still like really lean in the sense that you're fitter and leaner than 99% of the population. So <laughs> although it's like your off season, you're still uh, pretty damn jacked and uh, you're like really close to actually stepping on stage. So comes to show that. Oh, sorry. No, go ahead. I didn't mean to cut you off there. What were you saying? Yeah, it was like, uh, you know, it's comes to show that on keto is very easy to sustain uh, a lean physique even when you're not dieting and you're not feeling that you're starving and it's not like enforcing some form of like a crash and binge uh, cycle yeah for sure man and like right now i don't know what my body fat is currently but i'm definitely in a building phase i'd probably say i'm around 15 percent body fat but 15 percent body fat on me looks a lot different than 15 body fat on someone that doesn't train like a bodybuilder because when you build more muscle the fat that you do have, you know, sits on top of that muscle in a much more, you know, symmetrical and <laughs> like pleasant looking way than it does if you have no muscle tone, no muscle shape. So when you, when you have more muscle, you can get away with a little bit more body fat without it looking sloppy mm. and you're just healthy overall. I mean, if you've got a lot of really good quality, lean, dense muscle tissue, your metabolism is going to be ramped up. You can consume more calories without a detrimental effect and, and your body just functions at a higher rate. So for me, my my primary goal during all times of the year, unless I'm in a competition prep phase, is to build, you know, muscle as effectively and efficiently as possible. Mm, that's, that's for sure. Uh, but as we're as as you're you know approaching your next competition, what are some of maybe some of the changes you begin to make a few months out? So right now, like my my metabolic baseline is probably around 3,500 calories. This is gonna be different for everybody, but that's probably where mine is. What I've been doing for the past few months, actually since um, the beginning of July, I've ramped up my daily caloric intake to 4,000 calories. I'm going to keep that 4,000 calorie intake until um, probably, the, probably the beginning of October. When October hits, I'll drop that down to 
3,500 calories, so right about my metabolic baseline. And then I'll, I'll flush out any additional water or just, you know, crap weight that I've gained from being at such a surplus. And then I'll kind of reestablish my baseline there. And then starting from that point, uh, I'll do that for about a month, be at that 3,500 calorie baseline. And then starting in November, I'll actually transition into a legitimate competition prep cut and I'll start gradually tapering my calories. Um, you know, a lot of people make the mistake of, of jumping, you know, down a thousand calories at a time if they decide that they're wanting to cut, but you really need to take a very slow methodical chip away approach, um, to tapering down, especially if you're trying to do it from a sustainability standpoint, like I'll be prepping for the next, you know, six months, five or six months, but it'll be very gradual adjustments, you know, five grams of protein here, five grams of fat here, like each week, it'll be a very gradual prog progression. And I won't start introducing additional cardio until my body stops responding or slows its response to those caloric manipulations. And I'll just kind of have an inverse relationship basically between my calories going down and my cardio going up. So my body's constantly got some kind of stimulus that's, that's pushing it forward, you know, more and more and I'll get leaner and leaner as the, as the time goes by. Hmm. Uh, will your training change in some shape or form? Honestly, man, my training doesn't really change that much when I transition to a prep. A lot of people, um, again, kind of make the mistake that when they're transitioning into a cutting phase and they're trying to lose body fat, they'll ramp up the, the reps, they'll drop the weights. Um, you know, you always hear high reps, low weight for toning, but I don't really <laughs> go by that philosophy. I try to maintain as much muscle as possible. If you start lifting lighter weights, you're basically going to send a signal to your body that, hey, look, we don't need as much muscle anymore because we're not being asked to push this weight. So let's, let's, I mean, calories are a deficit. Let's start chipping away at our muscle, but you don't want that. You want to, you want to sustain as much muscle as possible. Ketones are very anti-catabolic, which is great, but you want to try and, you know, maintain those heavy lifts uh, as, as best you can as you're going through a prep to convince your body that still needs that muscle tissue. Mm, yeah, that's for sure. And uh, like the, even for building muscle, then the the principle of progressive overload is kind of the mo most important uh, variable when it comes to building muscle. Yeah, absolutely. And it's kind of cool, man. Like I, a lot of people that are following traditional bro dieting approach to, you know, bodybuilding, they wind up getting weaker and weaker as the prep goes by. Mm -hmm. And it is true. Like when you're in a, you know, deep caloric deficit, it is harder to have the fuel to just really crush every single workout. Plus you're, you're, brain is tired. I mean, it's just a psychological stress going through a prep for several months. Um, but I've, I've been hitting PRs, uh, on all my, all my lifts the last month of a prep, this last, last prep when I was doing keto, you know, I was hitting PRs on deadlift and, and mm -hmm. squat and all my lifts, um, you know, just a few weeks before the show, which is pretty unheard of, but it's cool and exciting to be beating your best lifts while in a deep caloric deficit following a ketogenic protocol when everybody assumed that you couldn't even build muscle on keto like that. That's, that's kind of <laughs> yeah. bragging rights right there. Yeah. yeah, it's, And it's, it's kind of funny. Yeah. And especially like compared to, let's say the amount of protein that you're actually consuming compared to the bro way of eating. <laughs> oh yeah. I mean like my last prep, I, again, I'd, I'd made all the manipulations gradually over time, but at the end of it, I was only taking in 65 grams of protein a day. And as a, mm -hmm. a male bodybuilder taking in 65 grams of protein, I mean, that's, that's, unheard of most of my competitors were taking in 300 grams of protein yeah 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 i do i do agree that in some aspects the protein thing tends to be a bit overblown or uh, like overhyped uh, especially e even on like the keto sphere for for instance recently there's a lot of talk about 
that you should actually eat more protein all the time and you don't need to be adding more fat, etc. But uh, I would say that both approaches can work and both approaches have their validity. So on a keto template, let's say this strict keto way of uh, eating with the protein being somewhat moderate, then the, your protein requirements will just generally decrease because of the ketones. And uh, like you said, as long as you're you know, lifting weights, then you're not going to lose muscle and uh, you're actually going to preserve it. Oh, yeah, for sure, man. I think, you know, a lot of the reason that protein is so revered and kind of put on a pedestal is because protein has a higher thermic effect of food. So the argument is if you eat more protein, it takes more calories to break down and digest and absorb that protein. So by simply eating more protein than other macronutrients, your body is going to be in more of a fat burning state. And there is some truth to that. But the way I look at it is if I'm in a prep and my goal transitions from building muscle to losing body fat, my main priority is no longer to build muscle, it's to maintain muscle. And hmm. since ketones are highly anti-catabolic, if I'm producing a lot of ketones, which will be easier to do if I'm at a higher fat ratio, I'm going to have a muscle sparing effect in that regard. Plus, I'm going to feel better because being keto adapted, fat is my primary fuel source, both for my body and for my brain. Hmm. And I don't want to feel like a zombie if I'm in a prep and I'm already at a low caloric intake. I want to feel like a rock star. And if I'm taking in a higher fat ratio, I'm going to be able to do that. I'm going to function better throughout the day to day. And I don't have to worry about my muscles, you know, wasting away because I'll be in a more anti-catabolic state due to the higher ketones. Yeah. I do notice that, for instance, um, like when I'm, when I'm uh, deviating more towards a higher protein keto type of eating, then uh, the mental clarity tends to be not as high as you would on a, like a strict keto template. So usually if I were to try to maximize mental, mental facu faculties and focus, then I would always gravitate more towards less protein, actually, not, not too much, because it will just you know, kick you out of ketosis or keep you in this peripheral zone where you're not really gaining a lot of the benefits of, of the ketones. Yeah, I totally agree. I feel like, you know, I've done experiments in which I've played around with higher protein, higher fats, and then about a one-to-one -one ratio. And I noticed that when I'm at a higher protein intake, I definitely feel uh, a little bit more lethargic. I feel like I'm just, I wake up, it's hard for me to wake up. Um, my blood glucose always tends to run a little bit higher. My beta hydroxybutyrate tends to run a little bit lower. And I didn't notice any, I, I, I tried this experiment and I was, you know, doing in-body scans before and after with each different phase, and I didn't really notice an adequate increase in lean muscle tissue with the higher protein to warrant any of the adverse effects that I was getting. So for mm -hmm. me, it was like a, you know, it was a mute point. I didn't, I didn't see any benefit to having a higher protein relative to fat, whether I was building or cutting. Right. So if you're eating all this fat, then what are you actually eating? <laughs> like because some people may find it difficult to get all of that fat in, and especially if you're eating like four thousand calories. Well, I may be a little biased here. It's maybe like a shameless plug, but I, that was one main reason I made the keto brick was to make that easier. Um, <laughs> so the keto brick for sure. And then just a lot of, uh, you know, good quality oils and fats. Like I would cook in, you know, olive oil, avocado oil, um, you know, butter. And th this kind of begs the question of, you know, dietary fats. And if you're trying to lose body fat, you want to remove plate fat plate mm. fat that's that's a, a big thing you hear in the keto spaces people are under the impression that if you're trying to lose dietary fat then you know or lose body fat then take away the dietary fat so your body can tap into its own stored fat which theoretically makes sense but i found that if you're keeping that fat ratio higher like we just said you're going to feel better and perform better and if you're you know 
if you're titrating overall calories down and you're in a, a fuel, uh, your energy balance is such that it's going to be in a deficit, then you're going to lose body fat regardless of whether or not you're in a higher plate fat or not. So I just assume keep the plate fat higher, feel better, and then lose body fat by titrating total calories down. Mm, okay. Yeah, that's, a, that's an interesting, interesting approach in the sense that it's going to help to minimize decision fatigue in some aspects. You know, p- part of the biggest reasons people uh, fail their diets is adherence and uh, either, you know, giving up too quickly or just binging. <laughs> so if you minimize the decision fatigue and you minimize, uh, let's say, cognitive strain thanks to the ketones, then I believe that it, it would be much easier to kind of stick to the diet uh, long term. Oh, yeah, that, that's a huge reason why I, I advocate. And my, me personally, I always try and meal prep. Like if I'm doing a, a, you know, a cutting protocol or if I'm prepping for a competition, I'll try and meal prep for the week if possible. And basically, I adjust macros every single week. So I'll have my macros for that week and then I'll prep all the food, have it stored in Tupperware or whatever so that it, it removes that decision fatigue. Like I already know what I'm going to eat that day. I've got it already prepared. I don't have to sit there and fool around with trying to figure out what my macros are. I don't have to fool around with figuring out where I'm going to go, how I'm going to cook it. Like it's already done. And when you don't even have to think about it, your ability to adhere to a program and be consistent with it is, is amplified tenfold. And that's absolutely the main thing. For sure. Uh, but I actually heard recently or like a few months ago that you ran a marathon actually. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I don't remember what month that was. I don't know. I think that was later in 2008. I don't remember. It was, it was a while ago, but yeah, I, I ran a marathon because I got tired of hearing, um, what was my motivation behind it? I think it was because I got tired of hearing people say that I couldn't build muscle while doing endurance training. Mm-hmm. And I got tired of hearing, like I got ha- tired of hearing all the, the carb ups necessary for endurance sports. Like you had to have all the goos, right? Like it's, it's funny, man. People, like people just don't want keto to be successful. So they, they look at all the different sports out there, whether it be bodybuilding or endurance. And they're like, well, here's an example of a sport that would not work well with keto, mm-hmm. you know? And I just look at these arguments and I'm like, no, that's, that's, that's not, not accurate. Right. And here I am a bodybuilder. I never run a marathon in my life. I'm not an endurance runner. I don't train endurance sports. I don't run at all anyways. Um, and I'm like, well, I'll just, I'll just run a marathon. I won't train mm-hmm. for it at all. I'll just do it and I won't take in any goos in the process. And sure enough, man, that's what I did. I ordered some running shoes. I ran in them twice to break them in. And my third time running in them was the marathon. <laughs> <laughs> so you ran like basically cold turkey. Yeah. All right. Yeah. Oh, well, I, I felt fine. I didn't even, I didn't even have like a, I didn't do a big carb up load of pasta the night before. I didn't even eat the day of. I fasted the whole way through. Um, <laughs> wow. The only thing I had intra marathon for nutrition was, I had a pickle, um, water, obviously, and a zip fizz for electrolytes, and that was it. Wow, <laughs> that's that's yeah. I, I, like actually, I would say that the endurance sport is actually much more suitable for a keto diet because you're burning fat all the time, and yeah, you don't even you don't even need the carbs. So that, it's kind of funny, yeah. Like on keto, fasted cardio itself is very easy and awesome because you're literally tapping into your own stored body fat and you're using the ketones. And the intensity is so low that you don't need the glycogen even. Yeah, see, that's what I don't understand. Like, a lot of people, you know, the whole reason for the goos and all that stuff is to prevent bonking. But that becomes irrelevant if you're keto-adapted, you're tapping into your own stored body fat. And there's been some, you know, research out there that indicates that if you're 
doing an endurance sport, you know, you're going to be having a higher level of output if you take in carbohydrates. But if you're doing like a marathon or something, I mean, you're not doing any crazy high level of output. There's no sprinting involved. Like you're just doing a nice steady pace the whole way through for 26.2 miles. And in my opinion, I mean, there's, there's no need whatsoever to have any kind of carbohydrates. Yeah. I haven't run a marathon myself, but now that you say it, I may, may think that maybe someday I will also do it in the sense that I'm or, I've, I've already seen that even if I'm not training endurance on keto, I still feel that it's so easy when I do go out for like a long run and like you don't literally, there is no wall because you're all the time tapping into the ketones and this, it feels awesome in this sense. Yeah, I mean, I never once felt like I was deprived from an energy standpoint. I will tell you this, though. If you do decide to do a marathon, make sure your feet are conditioned. That's that's where I went wrong. My my feet, having not run at all prior to that, and honestly, having not even broken in the shoes that I got, my, my feet were just in pain, man. Like, at the end of it, my feet hurt so bad. And I mean, I couldn't walk for like two weeks. Um, but it wasn't because you know, of lack of fuel or anything. I felt great from that standpoint. Just my, my feet, like the yeah. constant pounding of the pavement, they just weren't conditioned. Yeah, for sure. But in in some sense, it's also like a form of uh, adversity and a challenge, challenging yourself to kind of deal with the pain as you, as you get along. Yeah, yeah, no, totally, man. That was definitely a mindset thing at the, the last few miles. We're, we're all mental for sure. All right. So that's where also the stoic conditioning comes into play and <laughs> comes in handy. Oh yeah. I mean, stoicism, that's, that's like, when I think of mindset, I often, I mean, that's where I go with stoicism, like the book, the obstacles, the way by Ryan holiday, you know, Marcus Aurelius, all of those the stoic thinkers. I mean, that's, that's kind of what I, you know, dig my heels deep into and, and rely on if I'm ever doing anything physically, mentally, emotionally demanding. It's all, it all stoicism. Mm-hmm. What's your uh, favorite book? Honestly, man, probably the obstacles, the way, I mean, Ryan holiday's, take on that is just rock solid i have that book on audible and i listen to it on repeat anytime i'm prepping for a show like especially that last month of prep when i'm just depleted i'm hungry i'm tired and like i've just gone so long without any break in pattern you know i I just put that book on put it on repeat and that's what i listen to while i train that's just i've constantly got it in my ears Hmm. yeah yeah, i I agree like stoicism in a sense helps you to uh, it 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 doesn't like it does help you to directly like deal with the discomfort and deal with the challenges. But at the same time, I feel it it also the reason it works is because it puts things into perspective in a sense that you realize that what you're doing is actually so. In some sense, you are like meaningless person. <laughs> that you oh, yeah, man. you don't matter in the grand scheme of things, and that in a in a way helps you to kind of deal with the situation a lot better and also like uh, fade away the uh, discomfort of whatever you're facing it's kind of morbid man but like yeah. when i'm doing something really hard like i'm doing a prep or something and i'm you know like i said depleted i'm hungry and i'm just you know going through the, the quote-unquote grind of a prep i think about people that have it much much harder than i do like i think about the people in third world countries that don't even have adequate supply of food i think about people that are crippled i think about people that just have everything taken from them and I, I dwell on that. And it's like, if I'm thinking about that, how in the world can I complain about, you know, having a few less calories this week than last week or going to the gym and training a little bit harder? Like, it's just, it makes those things seem so insignificant, which in turn makes them so much easier to do. Mm-hmm. Yeah, because like uh, suffering, all forms of suffering are 
almost caused by just the particular perspective that you have. And uh, you can change that perspective at any moment. So imagine that you are, you know, saying to yourself during the prep that, oh, this sucks and uh, why am I doing this? Uh, but if you were to kind of remind yourself that, okay, this is what I'm doing just to achieve this goal, then it actually may become like more enjoyable and uh, you just change the story that you tell yourself. And in so doing, you kind of almost transcend the entire uh, situation. Yeah, for sure. And plus it makes, I mean, it gives you more perspective for anything that you do. It's hard future in the, in the future in life. I mean, anything that I've done going forward, I, I can look back on a time in my life where I was doing something that's really hard. And then I dig deep into those thoughts and reflect on what I, I was thinking at that time. And it makes the things that I'm doing now seem easier. And then it just has a compounding effect on everything that I do going forward. Like I, I can just, I've got more perspective on what hard shit really is. And then I can dive deep into that. And it makes anything that I do that much more sustainable and i appreciate it that much more for sure have you uh implemented that kind of mindset in your business as well oh yeah man i mean like business is interesting business is like chess and i love chess i don't ever play it but i love it um but i look at business as like chess a chess set for life and you've got a finite amount of time here on earth and you have to figure out what's the best use of your time how you can add the most value and business is tricky because you have to figure out what the market wants. You have to figure out what the market demands and you have to figure out how to meet those demands in a, a in a fashion that is in line with who you are as a person. Mm -hmm. And a lot of businesses out there try and cut corners. They try and make a quick buck and they, they sacrifice their integrity and their audience just to, to make a dollar. And I don't ever want to do that. That's a very short sighted approach to things. I'm trying to build a solid foundation for my company for my brand, my image, my family, um, you know, everything that, that involves me and in, in anything I touch, I want to just scream quality, integrity, and hard work. And to, mm -hmm. to build a business with that as the underlying foundation is hard because there's so many instances where it would be easier to cut corners and do something else. But I love it, man. Like it's, it's a hard thing, but I, I'm so proud of what we've been able to accomplish in you know, the, the short years that we've been doing this. And I'm just super excited for the future because when you have that outlook, when you have that type of person that just wants to dive into something that is hard and that most people don't want to do, it makes doing it that much more fun. Mm, yeah, yeah, for sure. How, how have you, how have you implemented uh, that in uh, like Keto Brick? So like with Keto Brick, man, a classic example is it's a food product, right? It's, it's a, it's a meal replacement bar. And Nothing against any other any other uh, food park bar in the, in the space in the keto space or beyond, you know, more power to you. But there are very few uh, food product companies in the keto space that have kept everything in house. Most companies outsource and they go through a co-packer. And there's pros and cons to that. I mean, most people go through a co-packer because it's cheaper for them, um, or there's less headache for them. If you if you go through a co-packer then you don't have to fool around with, you know, the, the ingredients. You don't have to fool around with the equipment. You don't have to fool around with a lot of the, you know, a lot of the are, you know, end-to-end -end fulfillment. So you don't have to fool around with, uh, you know, shipping and fulfillment to the end user. When you keep it all in-house, like we've done, I mean, there's just so many more headaches. Like I've got employees. I've got, uh, you know, ingredients that I've got to source and, and, you know, invest in. I've got the equipments that I've got to invest in. I've got so many moving pieces all at once. But it makes it much more 
challenging, but it, it's also much more re- rewarding in my opinion because I can have my finger on every aspect of the business. I can oversee and make sure everything is done to the quality standard that I expect of it. And I don't have to ever cut corners. Like a lot of wholesalers and, and co-packers, they'll, they'll use ingredients and filler ingredients that are cheaper for them because they've got some type of connection, but then it, it sacrifices the quality of the product. I don't ever have to worry about that. I only get the best and the highest quality stuff. I only use the highest quality stuff. If there's any issues, then I can fix them immediately. I just have full and 100% control over everything, which I like because it's just it just the epitome of quality. Plus, I can take people behind the scenes with my daily YouTube videos and show them everything from start to finish. Like there's so much more connectedness to mm-hmm. the product that the end consumer gets. And I want to be able to bridge that gap and show them exactly how it's made from start to finish and let them know that, you know, I, I basically vow to them that I'm never going to sacrifice quality. Mm. Yeah, I, I I do agree that you, your brand has like more transparency than these other, let's say, popular uh, food brands, especially because, uh, you know, I would imagine that people in the keto, keto sphere, they're somewhat at the same, like, on one side, they may be very cautious and uh, skeptical about all kinds of processed food that, you know, everything that comes in a package is, is, is wrong and you shouldn't eat anything that is, you know, quote unquote, unnatural. But at the same time, there are some people who also fall in the trap of eating this, let's say, healthy keto junk food all the time and, uh, you know, repl- and not really paying attention to the whole food. So, yeah, I, I believe that your brand has done a good job in sense of uh, kind of bridging that gap and uh, making sure that people understand what goes on in the manufacturing of this product as well as like what are the actual ingredients and uh, how does it affect or when should you like, consume it. Yeah, I appreciate that, man. It's, for me, it's like I, I never planned on even making a product to sell. Like it was something that I made for my own personal use when I was doing my competition prep because it worked really well. It was able to, it was shelf stable. It, it helped me hit my macros. It was the high fat ratio that was, you know, in line with my macronutrient goal. So it just worked really well. Never plan on selling it, which is, I think, a really good thing. I think a lot of really successful companies are born out of solving a problem that needed to be solved, which is what the brick was for me. And then enough people were showing an interest in it that we decided eventually, okay, let's just see what happens. We'll give this a shot and try it and see if we can actually make this into a product. And lo and behold, it took off and, and people have been you know, super supportive of it. They've They've seen benefit to themselves with it. And they want to help us grow and they actually use it themselves. I mean, it's like something that's beneficial for other people outside of the bodybuilding space. Like it's not just for bodybuilders by any means. Um, but it's been super cool for me to to see the interest around it and just receive the support that we have. And I feel like just incredibly grateful and blessed to be a part of this space and be able to, you know, actively pursue something that I have a passion for and then find a way to add value to the community as a whole because this community has totally changed my life and it's given me a reason to live. So anything I could do from an entrepreneurial standpoint and then also from a content creation standpoint, like I want to be that and do that to the best of my ability. Mm, yeah, that, that, sounds, that sounds awesome. And it's good to hear that, uh, you know, you're kind of putting your uh, dedication to it <laughs> wholeheartedly. Where where does it maybe where does your drive come from if you can you know rationalize about it? That's a good question, man. I honestly don't know. Like I like I wish I had some kind of sexy answer for that question, but it's uh I just I feel 
like, I mean, we're all going to die, right? We all know, we inherently know that, that life is fun and we are all going to die. And I used to work at a, a, a job. I worked for somebody else like most people do. And I was just unfulfilled in that job. And I felt like I, there's got to be more, something more to this. Like I want to wake up and be excited for the work that I'm going to do that day. If you're not passionate about the work that you're doing, you can't put forth your best work. That's just a no-brainer. Like if you don't care about the work you're doing, there's no way you'll have the passion and drive to put forth your best effort. I feel so grateful to know and be in a place in my life where I can wake up every single day, be excited to wake up and be excited to put forth my best effort every single day. And if you do that and you find that and then you can replicate that every single day for the rest of your life, you can create something great, something wonderful, something that actually leaves this world better than it was when you came into it. And that's, that's what I want to do, man. Like so many great people have come into this world before me and I want to be able to do my part and add value in some form or fashion and know that I'm not just a leech sucking the life out of other people and the world as it is. Like I want to add more value than I take. Hmm. Yeah, that's, that's a great message. And I do agree that, yeah, if you, if you feel passionate about what you're doing, then you don't need motivation and you don't need, mm-hmm. even, you don't even need like rest days. And if, and, and if like someone is in a situation where they're unable to do what they love, then uh, I think they should actually just, you know, start, you know, it doesn't matter. Like they should just start working towards the passion in the self of trying to end up at a situation where they will be able to like uh, control their own schedule, etc. Because yeah, some, most people aren't in the same fortunate situation as you and I, but it doesn't mean that they can't work towards <laughs> achieving their goals and their dreams. Yeah, for sure, man. I mean, there's so many people out there that hate the job they're in and they, they have these dreams and aspirations, but that for whatever reason, they don't feel like they they're worthy of it or what I don't know I mean I used to be in a place where I I didn't I wasn't happy with my day-to-day but any waking moment I had I was trying to figure out some way to break that cycle and and you know get into something that I was passionate about and felt strongly about I mean I didn't I didn't go home and and binge on Netflix for hours each evening and then complain about the job I was working on the nine-to-five you know I would get off work or or do whatever. There was no weekends. Like I would, I would hustle and find something that I was passionate on and I could pour myself into until that became enough of a, you know, an income and a cash flow for me to break free of the job that I wasn't fulfilled, feeling fulfilled in. But if you, I mean, if you're not complaining, if you're happy with where you're at in life, you're happy with your nine to five, then, then keep doing it by all means, more power to you. But if you're miserable in your job, if you're miserable in your career path and then you're, complaining and you're not doing anything to mm. fix it there's an issue there yeah yeah that's that's so true that if you don't actually have any actions to uh you know back up your words then you're not allowed to complain either <laughs> that's how, exactly, man. how i like to think exactly yeah that's, that's awesome um uh yeah like uh we're starting to wrap things up as well but uh maybe go through a little bit of the things that you're most excited about in the coming future. Man, to be honest with you, I, I want to, you know, build and grow keto brick. Obviously like we've got, uh, we're getting a new warehouse space. We're going to have another building that we're adding to our compound here. So we're going to, we're expanding right now. We just got some new equipment. So we're trying to build that business up as much as we can. Um, so that's, that's kind of what we're doing with the keto brick side of things. My wife, Crystal, she's kind of rebranding and doing some of her own work under her lady savage brand. So we're going to work to build that up. And then we've got, um, uh, 
you know, my, my business keto savage, we're going to, like I said, kind of go into a, a cutting protocol and gear, gear up for this coming competition. So super excited about that. I haven't competed in a while. So it's time to take the gloves off and make it happen, man. <laughs> yeah. Get the, get the, uh, sweat going again. Yep. Yep. All right. Uh, awesome. Um, before I ask my last question, uh, where can people learn more about you and your work? Man, anything Keto Savage, if they type in Keto Savage, they'll they'll find me, I'll pop up. Keto Brick uh, for the for the bricks, you know, ketobrick.com, ketosavage.com, and the, those names also on Instagram and, and all social media, you find me. Awesome, sounds good. We'll put all the links in the show notes. Uh, and um, my last question, well, last time we talked, I asked, like, what's this one piece of advice or a habit you wish you adopted sooner that improved your body and your mind? But I would like to turn it around, like push it up a notch in the sense, like, what's this one piece of advice or a habit that you wish you adopted sooner uh, since the last time we talked? So maybe like over over the last uh, last year. That I wish I would have done sooner. Yeah. So I actually just started playing around with this. Um, I, I found that most successful people, not all successful people, but most successful people do have uh, a tendency to wake up earlier and start the day in a more proactive state. Like if I, if I ever find myself and there's times when I, my, you know, energy is down or just like I'm tired, you know, like maybe I need to take a rest week or something, maybe a deload week, but there's times where I'm down. And when I'm down, I notice that I wake up a little bit later and I just feel more reactive than proactive. When I, when I'm on top of things, I wake up and I don't hit the snooze button. I think this is key. Like wake up, with the very first alarm that goes off. Don't have like a million alarms lined up. Hit that first <laughs> alarm goes up, you wake up. You don't hit the snooze button. And you have to do something to get up and get moving. So here lately what I've been doing, as soon as my alarm goes off at four, I wake up and I get in my truck and I drive to um, <laughs> I drive to Planet Fitness. I don't train at Planet Fitness. That wouldn't work out too well. But I drive to Planet Fitness and then I, I sit in their red light therapy. The last time we talked, we were talking about the juve lights and everything. Mm-hmm. Um, and I don't know if the Planet Fitness red light beds are anywhere close to the quality of the juve lights, but I figured I've got a membership there. I might as well use them. Um, but simply waking up as soon as the alarm goes off and then getting up and doing some kind of movement. And for me, that's going there jumping in the red light bed. And then as soon as I get back from that, I, I, you know, go for a run, um, or I do my clients. Then as soon as it gets light outside, I go for a run and then, uh, I train the afternoons now, but that's, that's something that I would definitely advocate, you know, getting up at the first alarm and then getting something, done moving some form of fashion to get your blood pumping mm, yeah that's good good advice in the sense that it's going to get the momentum uh, rolling on your side and you're not gonna start the day in a wrong note yeah if you if you wake up and you you know hit that first alarm you hit snooze then you're kind of already at a loss for the day before the day ever starts but if you wake up i think jocko willing said something along those lines but if you wake up you hit that alarm first thing you're you, you get up you start doing something that's starting the day off with a positive note it's putting you in control. You're in charge, and you're being proactive instead of reactive, and that just sets the sets the tone for the whole day. Mm, that's awesome, and uh, that's a good note to end the show with as well. So it was great talking with you, and we'll probably have to do this next time when you're in deep prep and your calories are really low. So we'll see how you'll be able to uh, keep up with the show. <laughs> Sounds great to me, man. Always a pleasure. All right, that's it for this episode of the Body, Mind and Power podcast. If you want to support us, then I would greatly appreciate it if you could leave us a review on iTunes and the other social media platforms. You can now order my new book, Metabolic Autophagy, that covers a lot of the same topics that we talked in here. 
it's a collection of certain lifestyle habits and practices that prioritize longevity as well as performance. To support this podcast, you can also become a Patreon and get exclusive video lectures from my biohacking bootcamp that covers circadian rhythms, intermittent fasting, autophagy, resistance training, biofeedback, and many more. But other than that, my name is Seem. Stay tuned for the next episode. Stay empowered.